0: So if wealth is an abundance of resources, then I think a well-lived life is distinctive in one way, and it's using the resources that we have to build a life that's full of joy and meaning.
1: Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen.
2: This episode is sponsored by Halbert Hargrove, an advisory firm that believes in the fearless pursuit of well-lived days and tomorrows. For 85 years, their advisors have worked to help clients reach their financial goals. And as fiduciaries, they act in the best interest of their clients at all times. For help with your well-lived life, Visit halberthargrove.com. Today, I'm with Angela Renee. She's the Administrative Director and Senior Client Service Manager at Halbert Hargrove, where I spoke on Breaking Money Silence during their Fearless Money Talks educational series back in the fall. I absolutely loved the idea of facing your fears and busting the money taboo, which is not a surprise to my listeners. And so Angela and I and a panel had a a brave conversation about how to engage in financial dialogues and how to plan for your future. So I had so much fun chatting with Angela and her team that I invited her back to the podcast so we could continue the conversation that had been started. So welcome, Angela, to the Breaking Money Silence podcast.
0: Thank you, Kathleen. I'm thrilled to be here. As I told you in the webinar, I've listened to your podcast and really enjoyed it. So it's a special treat to be here.
2: Oh, excellent. That's good news. I'm glad you did. And so, you know, kind of the format of the show. So I'm going to just kind of jump right in. You know, one of the things we talked about during our time together at the seminar was about wealth and what does it mean to have a well-lived life? So when I am approaching somebody who is new, whether this is someone I'm training or someone I'm coaching, I often talk with them about the idea that wealth isn't just about the dollars and cents. It's just not about your assets. And so in my experience, when I start to talk to somebody about how they define money, what they think of wealth, I really learn a lot about their mindset. And so I'm curious for you, Angela, how do you personally define wealth?
0: I love this question because I too think of wealth in terms more than dollars and cents. I'm not sure the industry we work in is totally there yet, but I think there's a shift. So for me, when I think about wealth, first of all, it comes down to resources. And I think that it goes into the territory of wealth when you have resources to the point of abundance. So as you said, in the wealth advisory world, we normally frame that in financial terms. So does someone have enough money either in income or investments to meet their immediate needs? now and into the future and then for some time, for some people that is like into the next generation for me personally kathleen i think of wealth more broadly i still like using those markers of resources to the point of abundance but i'm not specifically just thinking about money i'm not someone who's intrinsically motivated to be wealthy in the financial sense uh, but i have a lot of motivation and excitement and energy when i think about building wealth in other places and again when i say wealth i'm i'm using it in that specific term of having resources to abundance so for me that's more in my relational and creative life and i think it's important that we define wealth more broadly because it's not as limiting i think there are people in the world who are incredibly wealthy even though they don't fit the traditional definition of wealth that many of us are accustomed to hearing.
2: So when you talk about abundance, tell me a little bit more about when you're talking about abundance, what are some of the things I would see in your life or in somebody's life that would say, oh, there's abundance there?
0: I love this question because it it actually informs how my definition of wealth has changed over time. So a, a little bit of my background, I grew up squarely middle class, and I really didn't think about life in terms of do I have enough resources? And that's for this simple reason that I had enough. So it wasn't something I had to consciously think about. And, and that was a privilege. And then I, I went through a season of my life when my son was in grade school and I was re-entering the workforce and I was a newly single mom. And resources became a huge part of my awareness because a lot of times I just didn't feel like I had enough. And that was financially, but it was also with my time and energy. And so when, when that season of my life began to change, for one, I think I just, I started earning more money as I got incorporated into the workforce and I adjusted to the demands of my life. So I felt less limited in my time and energy I really crossed over from a place of feeling like I had not enough or like just enough squeaking by into more than just enough. And for me, that was a very small degree. I'll tell you in in really practical terms on the financial side, it was like in that, that squeaking by phase, I remember having to do all of this mental calculation. If I had some extra money, like Should I spend it so that we can buy a present for that birthday party that my son was invited to? Or can I accept the invitation he got to go see a movie with a friend? And crossing over into a territory where it was like, we could out eat out one night if I was too tired to cook, and I could send him to a movie without having to worry about where to pull the money from, for me, that was an experience of abundance. But I recognize that that is a very relative experience and other people may have to be way over the marker of just enough to feel that sense of abundance.
2: Such an important distinction. First of all, I just want to acknowledge being a single mom and being not stressed out financially is really hard. So kudos to you that you came to the other side and are feeling abundant. Uh, The second thought is that, you know, growing up middle class, really, it sounds like, influenced your thought about what abundance is. And I imagine there's some other things that factor in there, being married versus being single. How do you think your gender factors into abundance and your view of wealth, if at all?
0: That's a great question. I think my gender has definitely impacted it. I think part of the the kind of cultural setting that I grew up in is that I didn't have a lot of women around me who were particularly ambitious as far as having work outside of the home. And so that's not something that I ever really thought about. It's part of why when I was thinking about my relationship to wealth, the financial part was just very far off in the distance. It almost seemed irrelevant until it was my responsibility to provide for myself. And then entering the workforce, I actually was pretty surprised at how much of me felt satiated and satisfied using my skills in a different way. But I came to that later in life because I had made some money. But really, when I went into marriage and motherhood, my intention was that most of my time would be spent home. And I didn't necessarily think about the financial implications of what would happen if the structure of my family changed. So I was really unprepared for that part. And that's that's also relates to how I talk to other women who are younger and making these decisions and just encourage them not in a certain direction, but to have that awareness that, you know, life is a curving road and it's really good to have agency to make sure we're prepared for the twists and turns that we can't always plan for.
2: Very well said. You know, I often equate it to nutrition and that we don't have to be nutritionists. We don't have to be, you know, professionals in exercise psychology. But we do (laughs) need to be able to know enough to take care of ourselves physically. And I would say it's a very similar thing in our financial life. And as women... Uh, I know that even uh, you know younger Gen Z millennials are still really struggling with how much do I take care of myself versus how much do I not worry about that and the marriage mm. can be great but I still feel yeah. as if having that awareness and being able to uh, be financially independent if you needed to be but it, it, and have these dialogues are so important
0: yeah I agree
2: it really kind of brings me to what we talked about in the fearless money talk webinar, which I just keep, I wish I had thought of fearless money talks myself. I love that. Breaking <laughs> money silence is good, but I do like fearless money talk. Uh, and you introduced me to the idea in this particular webinar of what's called a well lived life. So tell the listeners a little bit about what you mean by that term and how is it similar or different than what we've just been talking about in terms of a wealthy life?
0: Okay. Yeah. Great. And I love that you're setting it up with that distinction because I think that there is one. So I'm going to go back first to how I defined wealth, which not everyone will agree with, but it's my definition. So it'll help me define a well-lived life. So if wealth is an abundance of resources, then I think a well-lived life is distinctive in one way. And it's using the resources that we have to build a life that's full of joy and meaning. I realize that someone can be wealthy and not feel like their life is well-lived. And someone can feel like they strongly identify with having a well-lived life, and they might not consider themselves wealthy. And so I think those two things are not mutually exclusive, but they're not necessarily directly correlated. So, So, yeah.
2: Yeah, go ahead, Angela. I'm just wondering why the focus on well-lived life? Why do you think that sums it up better as to what you want at Halbert Hargrove your clients to achieve?
0: I think because it helps us to expand the conversation, because I defined wealth uh, more broadly than just resources in abundance financially, we want to help people think about, okay, you can meet your goal. We can do that with traditional planning, but what else is there that that you haven't necessarily defined and express, but we know is important to you and a well lived life is a way for us to create a container to have those conversations. So we also realize in the same way that abundance is pretty subjective. I shared my experience with abundance and I'm sure it's different from yours and it's different from you know the clients that I'm going to talk to after we are done recording today. So a well lived life is also subjective. But we want to make sure that we understand that the people we're working with, we know what it means to them, because part of our goal is not just to help them meet their financial markers, but also to use the resources they have to build a life that they really want to move into and and inhabit and enjoy.
2: I am loving this conversation with Angela Renee. She is an administrative director and senior client services manager at Halbert Hargrove. We're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna talk about what's the difference between traditional financial planning and planning for a well-lived life. We'll be back in a minute.
0: How do you balance having the life you want to enjoy today with what you're going to need in the future? At Halbert Hargrove, we've spent decades working with our clients to help them build well-lived todays and tomorrows through financial services that align to their real-life goals. We believe a well-lived life is about more than money. It's about what you want for your family, the causes that you support, your lifestyle now and later. Check us out online at halberthargrove.com and schedule a call with a Halbert Hargrove advisor today.
2: This is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. I'm with Angela Renee, Administrative Director and Senior Client Services Manager at Halbert Hargrove. We are talking about how to plan for a well-lived life. We've covered what a wealthy life uh, can mean to somebody, the difference between that and a well-lived life. And now, Angela, I want to know a little bit more about how what we're talking about today kind of differs from traditional financial planning models. And I don't want to get too into the weeds. A lot of people who are listening today aren't (laughs) experts in financial planning, but I think it's important to talk about how is it different planning for retirement kind of the way it's always been done versus thinking about a well-lived life and the type of work that you are doing and the advisors you work with are doing uh, at Halbert Hargrove.
0: Okay, good. I'm again glad you set it up that way because the traditional planning part is not my area of expertise. That's why we have advisors in the firm and I have a different role. But I can say high level, traditional planning is sophisticated, but it's also pretty straightforward. If, if you are looking for an advisor, Kathleen, with, if you provide the right data points and the advisor has the right software, we can create financial plans for someone and, and give, you know, some level of clarity around whether or not the resources that someone has will be able to serve them for X number of years, which is usually what people come to financial planners for. Planning for a well-lived life is much more nuanced because there's no software to, get, to calculate, <laughs> you know, we can't. Bummer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We can't put in data points and say, yes, you have a life full of joy and meaning because it's so subjective. So it really takes us asking questions and active listening. And so because we can't use the software, I'd love to just highlight sort of three areas that give us the tools for helping us identify that.
2: Great. Go for it.
0: Okay, great. So the first is our discovery process. And this process informs the way we engage with clients really from the time that they start interviewing us and express interest in our firm. So, we've taken the work of Jeff Belcora at UC San Francisco, and he did years of rigorous uh, research around an interview method for patients in the healthcare system that was really designed to help give healthcare professionals a more holistic picture of the patients they're serving. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So, And of course, it, it resulted in better outcomes because they had better information. So we actually worked with Jeff and developed his process specifically for the financial services world. And what that means practically is that we conduct conversations that really feel a little more like interviews, where we discipline ourselves to do a lot less talking than people are accustomed to in the sales process, and we ask a lot of open-ended questions. And the goal is to get people to share information with us that they normally wouldn't even think to bring to a financial advisor. And this is where we start to help people think about and define what a well lived life means for them. Of course, we get the data that we need for the financial, you know, traditional planning side, but it also helps us get a bigger picture, just like it was designed to do.
2: Um, so let me jump in before you go sure. to the next piece. So when yeah. you're talking about the open-ended questions and starting to define a well-lived life, mm-hmm. I, I know you may not be the person always asking this question, but do you have a sense of like, what is the type of question? Is it around values? Is it, is it just asking someone, tell me what your well-lived life is? Yeah. I'm
0: glad you asked. So I do conduct the interviews so I can can tell you a little about the budget. Yeah, please. So the idea, let me tell you the thinking behind it. The way that Jeff framed it with us is it's, it's thinking about an iceberg. So If you think, you know, you have the tip of the iceberg is above the water and then the bulk of the iceberg is actually below the surface. So if you start with the tip of the iceberg, which is typically if you were coming to me looking for an advisor, that's the stuff you expect to talk about. So you have like a low level of reticence to share that. You expect I'm going to share that. So if I start there and I I ask you an open ended question, tell me what's happening in your life. You start to share and I drill down deeper. Eventually, what happens is people are more primed to share some of that below-surface thinking. So we don't ask specifically to define a well-lived life because we come at those questions more organically. But we might ask you, tell me, Kathleen, what are your interests? You know, if you're retired or if you're working full-time, when you have free time, what are the causes that mean a lot to you? Who in your life is important to you when you you think about planning into the future, not just with your money, but with your time? Those are the kinds of things. There's a structure and a framework for it, but of course, each call will have a different personality depending on who's facilitating the call and who's on the other end on the prospect side.
2: Ooh, your job sounds fun. I would love that, Angela. Thank you for giving yeah. us those yeah. examples. That sounds really interesting way yeah. to work with clients.
0: I agree. You'd be really good at it. And I have to tell you, it's it's one of my favorite parts of what I do.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I know that's the discovery and I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off, but I know there's oh, two did. other pieces, correct?
0: Yes. So the second part is once a client is engaged, either a current client or, or a per- prospective clients, of course, they want to have tactical conversations about, you know, how are we planning to invest their funds? We are financial planners at the end of the day. And so we have a framework called life phase investing that helps us both internally and in our conversations with clients give a shape and structure to the allocations that I think is is outside of the traditional modeling. For people who don't know, traditionally, when you go to an advisor, they're going to look at things like your age and your tolerance to risk and market volatility, and they'll create a portfolio according to that and your goals and needs for your finances. This life phase investing takes other factors into account, and it's, it's much more based on someone's life phase than their age. And one of the things that's built into that model is the assumption that life doesn't go neatly from point A and point B, and it's a winding road. And so people are going to go in and out of those life phases. And because we tell people from the outset that this is how we view financial planning, we're also sort of setting them up with the expectation that we want to be part of the ongoing conversation as their life unfolds. That means big changes, little changes, and even the things that are happening again, like in the discovery process, that they wouldn't necessarily think that they should share with their financial planner. This helps us to set the groundwork so they start sharing those things with us and we have an open conversation.
2: I could have used you when I was 18 to tell me that life was (laughs) going to be an up and down. (laughs) I finally finally get it now in my 50s, but um, cool. So that sounds really like an interesting uh, way to set the framework. And then what's the last piece?
0: So the last piece is something that we've developed in the last year, and um, this is exciting. This is something that I have been a part of as well. So three of us within the firm are certified facilitators for a program called Designing Your Life. And let me give you a little background just like I did on the discovery process. So this came from two Stanford design professors, Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, and they were observing students feeling like they needed more guidance when they were getting ready to graduate and go into the big wide world. (laughs) And so they adapted design principles for life design to help reframe the question of like, what do we want to do with our lives and break it down into pieces of how do we just design into the next step of our lives and not have to go so far into the future. So we got to train directly with Bill Burnett to do these workshops In house, so the three of us can facilitate these workshops for our employees and also do one on one coaching. And the thing that I love most about it is really designing your life is all about taking practical tools to give some shape to what is a well lived life. (laughs) In fact, it's based off a book that they wrote after the course was such a success. And the tagline of the book is how to build. A well-lived joyful life so of course that was a natural perfect fit for our firm and because we're talking about this so much in-house i feel like all of our staff and advisors we're just better prepared to have these discussions with clients because we're doing this work ourselves
2: yeah, absolutely. So we're going to put all these links in the show notes because there's a lot of different resources that you've mentioned that sound really intriguing. And I'm sure some of our listeners would want to take a look. Uh, it sounds like at, at Halbert uh, Hargrove, you're having fearless conversations or money conversations a lot.
0: Yes, we are. Fearless <laughs> money conversations, that's kind of a big thing. internally, we remind ourselves that's what we're about. We're about fearless conversations. In the three things that I just shared with you, I think that idea is really embedded. And I think it's not what we normally think about in the traditional planning sense. I know in the traditional sense, if you came to me with a goal that was unrealistic based on your actual financial resources, that would mean I'd have to have a fearless conversation with you. Like, Kathleen, we have to make some adjustments either to spending or expectations because I can tell from the modeling the resources aren't there to support you, so we have to reframe it. That's something I think advisors are used to doing. It's not comfortable and it's fearless, but I think What we've challenged ourselves to do is expand that a step further and go into the areas that we haven't really traditionally addressed. The stuff that we've been talking about today that is about building lives of joy and meaning. And that takes some fearlessness because it's new territory.
2: Well, even the nuanced part. So I certainly live in the nuance with the work that I do in behavioral change and uh, financial psychology, but I really like that it's the blend between uh, some of the things that we know work in terms of financial planning and building in that nuance. And so I feel like there's so much more, Angela, yet again, that you and I could talk about. Um, but I'm wondering if you can leave our audience with kind of one piece of advice you know, relative to what we've talked about today.
0: Sure. And I, I apologize in advance. It seems sort of on the nose. But honestly, my advice is to take what you've done with me, and to turn it on the audience and to ask the audience, what does wealth mean to you? You, know, you don't have to define it all in the terms that I did, but what does wealth mean to you? What is your relationship with wealth? And then secondly, what is a well-lived life? What does that mean for you? And I encourage you, listener, in whatever way you can get to clarity on that, whether it's writing, or if it's maybe having this conversation with a friend, turning the question on them and asking them to then turn it back on you. Doing that, going through the process of defining those things is an important step because as you do that, it will also shape the how of getting there. So start there and see what you discover.
2: Well, I love that because that's the essence of breaking money silence, Angela. So I love that tip and I encourage everybody listening in to do that work. If you need some support, you know that Angela and her team are out there. I certainly do uh, money coaching and money psychology work if you're interested in that. But Angela, tell me how people can find out more about you and the interesting work that your firm's up to. Yes, you can find
0: us online, of course, at either halberthargrove.com. Or abbreviated, you can go to hhga.com. That's short for Halbert Hargrove Global Advisors. And you can also find me on LinkedIn.
2: Awesome, Angela. So it has been so much fun to break money silence with you again. And I am sure this is not our last conversation. But thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you. Such a pleasure, as always, Kathleen.
2: This episode is sponsored by Halbert Hargrove, an advisory firm that believes in the fearless pursuit of well-lived days and tomorrows. For 85 years, their advisors have worked to help clients reach their financial goals. And as fiduciaries, they act in the best interest of their clients at all times. For help with your well-lived life, visit halberthargrove.com.